Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. Uh, On the Money is presented by Embassy National Bank. Our deposits are insured by the FDIC, and we're a nationally chartered financial institution. And as you know, on this show, we discuss topics designed to help small businesses succeed because at Embassy National Bank, we're proud of how we help small business. I'm your host, Joe Moss, president at Embassy National Bank, and be the moderator of this show, and welcome to the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio. Uh, we're inside the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel, and it's, they've been a wonderful host uh, for the time we've been here so far, so we appreciate that very much. Got to say one thing at the top of the show, if you listened to last week, I was very positive and excited about the Falcons and the Super Bowl. Well, today gotten off my sofa and decided that uh, I'm going to worry about things I have control over. But basically, we're excited about the future here, but really depressed over the loss. But hey, we move on and maybe we can all learn something from it. But enough said about that. Today, we're going to have a uh, repeat guest and uh, we're going to have Doris Hollingsworth today. Hi, Doris. Hi, how are you? Good. Welcome again. Thank you. As you may recall, on the she runs Evergreen HR Group. She is a very experienced uh, HR person in leadership and identifying uh, executive talent. And um, last time you were on the show, it was June of 2016. And as I rec- I went back and listened to it, a very good show. We had a very good conversation about um, the whole interview process, the whole right. hiring process, and then the um, cost of bad hires, et cetera. So it was very, very informative, but we didn't talk about what you wanted to talk about. So I wanted to get you back and start talking about those things too. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. So since June of last year, what can you tell us? Uh, what are some good things you've seen, some bad things in the hiring uh, HR world you've heard about um, that you could possibly share with us today? Well, I think some of the some of the positives that we're seeing, especially for small businesses, is kind of a um, upturn in confidence about where things may be going for small businesses. With where we are, with seeing you know the new year coming, with the election and kind of the up and down from that, a lot of small businesses are feeling like they really have an opportunity to take the next step, grow and and make their revenues higher. And as we talked last time, and and everybody will be aware of, you got to do that with people. You do that with people, and you have to get the right people on board. And uh, I guess the most important thing that we talked about last time was the uh, oftentimes people get the cart before the horse in the interview process. We have to, you have to determine the culture of the company. You've got to make sure you identify the kind of person you want for that job, and then uh, be very specific in the interview process. Do your testing if you're involved in any of that you do that up front correct correct no all that's correct. still the same that that is all still a very good pattern to follow you want to make sure that you're using all of the tools that you have at your disposal to drive that interview process to get the best information 
between you and the candidate possible mm -hmm. so that both of you enter that relationship with the right level of expectations. And so the, I'm, I guess the cost in a growing economy, the cost of a incorrect hire, I'm not going to say a bad hire, but the cost of an incorrect hire is even greater. It can be, particularly if companies are trying to move forward quickly. If they're trying to ramp up, if they're bringing additional people on board, if they have strong revenue drivers, then they really need to be very, very specific and detailed and very deliberate about how they do that. Okay. The last time, I and we'll get off this topic and move to what you want to talk about. We want to talk about teams and the dynamic of teams and that type of thing. But before we leave that... Um, you made an interesting uh, quote last time that I had to write down and, and repeat, and uh, that uh, companies sometimes spend more time looking at what the right grill is to buy than uh, the actual thinking about the interview and the person. Exactly. Exactly. And I take that. That's anecdotal from talking with some business owners and just kind of talking about hobbies and things of that nature. And it's, it's just one thing that struck me during the past few years that this happens very frequently. Yeah. People do a lot of research. They go to consumers' reports. They do they make very data-driven decisions in some of their household purchases and then data goes out the window when it comes time to hire someone. Sure. Sad but true. Anyway, gives you an idea how critical the whole people decision is and how very important it is to understand the dynamics of your organization and your team. So, with that, one of the things that you make a point of as we move into the whole concept of team, you've got a quote here. Doris believes that companies can become better through effective teams, wholeheartedly agree, and says if your team isn't dysfunctional, is not dysfunctional, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. So let's kick it off with that. What do you mean? Well, I think when, you're, when you think about the dysfunctions, you think about teams that are not necessarily congruent, where people are kind of... Um, similar in terms of approaches, in terms of styles. And that can be that can be a death knell to a team. Because if you're too similar, if the teams get along too well, if you've got too much congruency there, then you're not going to be in a position to work better as a team. Mm -hmm. You need a little bit of healthy conflict. You need some of that healthy disagreement. And you need to have people on your team who are comfortable with that and comfortable with leveraging that disagreement and that conflict. Well, before we get into the actual team and we'll, we, we've got some things here we'll go through but um, when is the team if, if you got an issue sometimes the singular effort I'll throw this out is can the singular effort in terms of having to solve a problem can that at times be more effective than the team approach to solving a problem it, it can and I think that's very much situational a lot of times it depends on how much collaboration you need to get corporate-wide or company-wide. If you've got a shift in direction for your company, then you have a wide or broader base to sell it to and mm -hmm. to get buy-in from. So you need to have some level of collaboration. You need to have people who are champions taking that, that conversation and taking that decision back to their respective groups. Mm -hmm. And they need to be promoting that on your behalf. So if you're, if you're a leader of an organization... And if you need to do a culture shift or if you need to bring that company around to 180 degrees of where you're going, you as the leader cannot do that by yourself. And, and giving that assignment to one person and as, expecting them to do that solo is going to be a monumental task. 
That's very different than asking somebody to head up a special project or asking someone to implement a new technology or implement a new system for a very specific kind of use within the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, on, on, on that subject, then, um, doesn't the team have to buy into the concept of the change in direction and that particular direction? Or you don't want them debating about whether what the, 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 what the, I, I can see a couple of uh, owners that get together and say, you know, we're going to move the company this way. And they, right. let's say they make a good decision. They do it based on good data. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, let's put the team on it and figure out how we get there. Obviously those people have got to buy into that direction they do. before they move forward. They do. Okay. And I think this is part of the strategy that, that leaders employ because one, you need to identify whether this is a directive that you're giving a team to move in this direction and to, and to change course. You need to identify who is going to be the official team leader or leader of that, leader of the pack there, to, to have that responsibility and accountability. But the other thing to, to remember, though, is that if you have conflict and if you have disagreement bubbling up in the team, that may very well be the exact same conflict and disagreement that's going to bubble up throughout the company. And you want to know about that as early as possible. And sometimes their best allies are the people on the team who will float that disagreement and make sure Good that you're point. aware of it. Good point. So um, it, it allows you to find out if, and, and I guess you have a chance to rethink your strategy too a little bit. Correct. Based on who, where it comes from. Correct. And, and if you've got someone who's real close to a customers or let's say someone very close to the technology of the company or the system or production capability of the company, then you kind of want to hear that, don't you? A good leader does. Yeah. One, one who wants to succeed definitely wants to hear, hear that and they want to hear it early on. All right. Okay. All right. So let's say we got the, um, let's say we got the new objective of the team, an objective established and you're start going to start assembling a team. So, at that point, what do you what do you look for? What do you walk me through how I go about assembling my team? Well, I think when you're when you're looking to put that team together, you've got two two sides, right? So you've got the functional technical expertise. So you might need someone from operations. You might need someone from forecasting and accounting. You might need someone who is on the customer experience side. But then there's that whole other side with these informal roles, the non-functional roles that get put into play in a team. And you need to have that represented as well. So you need to know, you need to have that knowledge of what is the style, personality, and values of each of those individuals so you can get that right mix. Because if you get people who are too heavily weighted in one characteristic or one driver or one strength, you're going to have a very lopsided team. And then you're kind of setting yourself up for them to get in a rut to maybe ignore warning signs to put too much emphasis on process whatever whatever those those primary drivers are you you can get into a difficult situation there okay so uh, give me an idea of the types of things that ought to be on a good team well when you're looking when you're looking at putting that team together you get you're going to have those informal roles and you're going to have one is going to be results these are the people who are going to drive for that result and drive to get to the end you've got pragmatism these are the people who are going to be your cautious, conscientious objectors. They're going to look at how, if, if you're really able to, to get there and if this is going to be workable. You've got your innovation. 
These are going to be your ideators, your creative people, the people that say, well, what about if we do it this way? And, and they're going to be your outside the box thinkers. You've got your process people. These are going to be the people that are very detailed and they're going to be able to say, okay, we need, yeah, we can do it. But we need to think about this because here's something that's a, an a obstacle with our systems, our current systems that we have. And then you're going to have your relationship people. They're going to be focused on, you know, is everybody getting along on the team? Are we enjoying ourselves? How's our motivation? Are we, are we all together then on this drive to make this happen? And what happens is if you don't, if you don't get that mix right, if you've got too many results people and too many, too many pragmatism people, but you don't have any innovate, innovators, then if you're trying to figure out new markets, if you're trying to figure out um, new products to bring, if you're trying to do anything that requires any kind of you know, change and outside of the box thinking, then you're in danger of failing because you don't have that skill. You don't have that driver on the team. Does the ownership appoint the team leader or how does that work? You know, I think, I think in, in a lot of instances, the ownership does appoint the team leader. So the business owner has someone that they trust to, to take that to completion, and they have someone that they trust to accurately represent and accurately report back, um, you know, what, what is happening? What are the, what are the obstacles? What, what's the directive? What's the timeline? How are things going? Somebody who's, whose word they can rely upon to, to bring that back to them. I've heard the axiom, uh, and I don't know where, maybe it came from Maxwell or, or I'm not sure who, but pretty interesting. It says, uh, you, you, you let the leader emerge. Mm -hmm. In other words, throw them all in there mm -hmm. and the leader will emerge. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you a proponent of that kind of concept? I think that can work very well in some circumstances. And I think, you know, one area where you're, where that can be a very useful way to do is if you have a a process or a project and you've got perhaps a group of similarly situated individuals. So you've got a, a you're a consulting firm or a CPA firm that does audits and you've got a group of individuals who are all fairly new into their careers, zero to three, zero to five years. You throw them and then you let the leader emerge from there. And that will give you a good glimpse into leadership. If you've got a seasoned team or if you've got a mix of seasoned professionals versus new new tenure or somebody new to the industry, then there may be some merit to actually identify that leader so that you don't have someone assuming a role or have someone taking that on when you really would like to see somebody else show their stuff. But to, to make that team functional and workable and come to a good solution, what are the characteristics of that per the, the leader that you appoint? What kind of characteristics do they need to have? I, I think the the probably the strongest characteristic that they need is the ability to understand and to value the diversity of style that you need on a team, because some people are very can be very put off by the challenge. They can be put off by the person who says, "I don't see how that's possible," or "I see this problem with it." Or how are we going to make that happen? And, and you, need to, you need to help those individuals learn to appreciate the challenge, just as you need to help the challenger type learn to appreciate the person who kind of takes a step back, takes a little while to think about the response, and then offers a response down the road. Both styles can be val valuable to the team, and both have very different uh, benefits that they bring to the team. So I think that the leader really has to be able to be in a place to kind of talk the team down when they get a little frustrated. They need to have some of that relationship skill. 
They need to have value for the positive positive minuses that that individuals bring to the team. And they need to be able to communicate that. They need to call the team down when they need it too. I was going to say, um, you know, uh, I guess Margaret Thatcher, the late great Margaret Thatcher, used to say that, I think I heard her say, consensus is the enemy of good management. So is that a something that relates to this? I, I would absolutely agree with, with her on that statement. If you have too much consensus, then you have too much compatibility. You know, if you've got too much consensus, I would say you're probably lacking innovation and you're probably lacking results. Mm-hmm. I would guess it's very important for the... Uh, before the team gets started to understand what their mission is. That you have to have clarity of mission. And if there's not clarity of mission, then the team needs to feel comfortable coming back and requesting it. Yeah. And I guess one of the best team concepts of all time in the United States is when Kennedy said, we're going to put a man in the moon. I would agree. That was, I've heard stories about that. Yes. And what I've heard was that, uh, that was the objective and that these incredible teams across all functional skills, all industries were assembled, and that was the objective. So they had a very, very clear mission statement, and then they were allowed to go and to execute. You didn't have Kennedy coming in and picking up the phone or pinging them with email or anything like that saying, hey, how's it coming this week? That was, they had, they had the timeline, they had the mission, they had the objective, they knew what they were going to do. And didn't he put a time on that too when he said that by I think he did I, there was but I don't remember I don't remember the timing on it okay so there wasn't a lot of uh, time for well I don't know that we ought to do that I mean that right that conversation and and I guess it really teaches a, um, a an owner or a director if you want to call them whatever it talk, talks to them about how to initially establish the team where you say, all right, here's here's what we need to have happen. Here's why. Here's the time frame. I guess I want people to understand this is where we're going. Right. And if you know, and uh, you know, I, I, you got to kind of buy into that. You know, we want different ways of achieving that, obviously, and work through it. But all those folks have to buy into that initially. They they have to buy into it, and I think with something like that, you have this huge enormous goal, you know, what, what people refer to as a BHAG, you know, big old hairy goal. And it's audacious and it's, it's challenging and it's something that can't help but grab people's imagination and desire to go. And, you know, it's got all the elements you want. It's got winning. It's got being first. It's got, we're, we're going to do it before anybody else does. It's like, go USA. So all of those things. So that's, that's a fairly easy concept to rally people around. right? Right. Right. So most business owners, a lot of business owners don't have that same luxury. The things that they're asking their teams to do are not quite as audacious. It's not quite as, um, you know, it's not, it's not one of the first. It does, it, it, it may make sexy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They may win, but they might not win in exactly the way that people would think of winning. So give me an idea of, um, other than that one, some, some things that you've seen teams that have worked well just in terms of teams working well, some of the some of the examples that I've seen are when, you know, companies come together and they decide that they are going to take on a pretty significant community charity project. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear about organizations that come together and, you know, the the rank and file, the 
people who are, you know, not highly compensated individuals come together as a group and do things like put together 200 bicycles for the community mm-hmm. to, to donate it at Christmas time. You know, you look at some of the, some of the efforts of things like, you know, the, the Toys for Tots programs, you know, those are, those are pretty big. That's a pretty big goal. And, and Atlanta is a huge market mm-hmm. for, for that program. So those are, you know, just examples of, of where people do come together. They really get behind the mission and they come together and everybody kind of acts, you know, outside of, of what their typical functional job is. And they take it beyond that mm-hmm. and they embrace the mission and they kind of do more than potentially they could think they, they'd be able to. And well, I, I know you spent a uh, worked, uh, either consulted or worked at Comcast. Back mm-hmm. back in the day, I guess that was the early days of Comcast here in Atlanta. That that was actually just after Comcast acquired AT and T Broadband. Okay, so, so that was an interesting time because you had two different cultures. All right, and so the 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 message, I guess, the objective came down. Hey, we got to do this merger. Let's put it all together. So was that a team concept that? That they that Comcast employed, or was it not? I mean, how did all that work back in the day? Well, I was I was not there during that part of the during that part of the merger. I came in just probably 45, 60 days after the merger had happened. Right. So when I came in, it was more of how do we get the two cultures to merge and to blend? And so that was that to me is the merger. Okay. All right. Valid point. You know, the bankers signing deals and everything, okay, fine. But the integration to me is the merger. Right. So the, the, the overarching um, kind of theme that happened there was, you know, Comcast was very, very focused on hiring within the community in which they sold services. They didn't believe in outsourcing the call centers. They didn't believe in, you know, having all of these operations happening outside of the community. So one of the, one of the things they did was to put, those call centers within the local communities. And that's a model they still follow. So that was, that was, you know, one of the things that they believed in very strongly. So you had, and, and you had, um, you know, buy-in on that, not only from the legacy Comcast group, um, but also from the people on the AT&T side, because they saw the value of having those stronger employee bases within the communities. Were there some things that Comcast wanted to do that would just flew in the face of some of the AT&T people? I'm, I'm sure there were. I think the, the one thing that I saw more frequently was the fact that in some ways AT&T, some of their systems and processes were a little more automated. And they felt that, you know, moving into the Comcast structure was kind of taking a step backward into that. So that you had the, the same uh, balancing issue of bringing that Comcast legacy organization into a different into a different kind of mindset around using technology. And those are always tough because Comcast clearly is now the winner in the deal, but yet you've got some very highly qualified technical people that feel like they're going backwards. Exactly. That was frustrating for for some of the AT&T group and there was a little bit of back and forth smack talk every now and then around that. You, you yeah, see I mean, that. I, I was involved in that where uh, our bank was acquired by a uh, another bank that uh, you know had a bigger footprint, had more bigger marketing effort, but their systems were mm-hmm. ten years behind us. Right. And there were some folks that had some real issues with that. And the chairman of the uh, of the of the acquiring group had basically had to stand up and say, "You're either in this thing or you're not." 
Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you need to let me know. People came forward, and I was one of them. And I was, uh, I was given. A, they were gracious enough to give a, a separation package. But at some point, it just people were bumping heads, and it had to come down to that. And that's you know that's a great message for that leader to to put out there and to give. And it's great when individuals will stand up and, and identify and say, "I'm really not into this," because the the one of the more dangerous areas that you have is when you've got people that really aren't invested in the mission and really aren't on board with the program, but they won't say it. Mm -hmm. You're listening to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we're talking with Doris Hollingsworth, who runs a company, Evergreen HR Group, her second visit. We're talking about the dynamics of a team. And um, I missed this break by 10 minutes. We're already 25 minutes into the show, if you could believe that. So this is uh, very interesting. Okay, so you've got the team set up. You've had the initial meeting, and I presume everybody's in the room, and the chairman or the president comes in and says, here's what I want you all to accomplish. Uh, the mission statement has got to be, as we define, I guess, pretty broad. It needs to have a date specific. I'm sure there's some other things that are needed. Everybody should, in the room, needs to buy into that initially, and, uh, and then the team goes to work. The team goes to work. All right. And so how do I manage the team now or going forward? What do I do? Are you, do I sit in the meetings? Do I hide behind the door? What do I do? Are you, are you talking as the business owner? Yeah. Now? As the business owner, I would say absolutely let them go and let them run. Let them run as hard and as fast as they can and check in periodically to make sure that there is mission clarity, to make sure that they are aware of any timelines that you have set and you know, I would say only get involved if you feel like they're really going down the wrong path or if you feel like they're going to be missing a timeline, a critical timeline. And um, I guess that kind of thing ought to be communicated up front as well. It, it absolutely must be. And the entire team needs to be needs to be aware of it. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've been on teams before where the owner stays in the room and um, it just doesn't open up. Uh, it, you know, you're you're. Yeah, people playing for the you know playing for the owner, and it's just kind of ugly at times. It it can be, and then you've got people kind of watching the owner to see if you know if they're putting an idea out there. Is my is this is this is he going to fire me tomorrow? Gonna, yeah, is this going to fly? Is this going <laughs> to fly? Yeah. But this you know this that kind of decision that's where you have to make sure that you've got these informal roles represented, because if you do not have the drive for results people on there, you if you've got too heavily weighted on innovation, then you're going to have great ideas coming out all day long, but you're never going to get to the goal line. You're never going to get there. Okay. And, and that's, that's what you have to be taking a look at on the front end. Do you have the right combination of people there? And so um, uh, owners and directors and people that kind of the top of the house running companies, you need to trust them and just let them roll, right? You need, you need to let them roll. And then I, I think you also need to be very aware of who are your leaders in the organization. And there's, there's ways to, you know, kind of dig in and to see what are the drivers for individual. I use assessments in my practice to help business owners kind of figure that out and manage that and to help them think about, okay, if you're going to have John leading, leading a team, who are you going to have to make sure he stays on, on process and who, who, who's, who's going to be the counterpoint? Because John's a very dynamic, results-driven leader, but he can, he, he'll say, well, we'll figure out the details and figure out the process later. Not always a good idea if you've got if you've got a new initiative coming in through your company. Yeah, and 
it, it goes back to the very, you know, the initial conversation we had six months ago where you're, you're making the hire. So you gotta, right. you gotta keep, it makes the hiring decision that more complicated because now you have to envision what you want to happen with this, these group of people that you're now running your company. Right. You want to try to anticipate some of the things you want all of them to cover and, and have that built into the hiring process. You ideally you would because in, intrinsically within within a business team you're going to have a standing kind of ongoing team. You've got your senior leadership team, and you need to make sure that you have that kind of balance in that leadership team as well as an ad hoc team that you might put together mm-hmm. to address a specific problem. So again, it goes back to how do you figure out who you're bringing on board? How do you figure out those drivers' characteristics assessments? You know what are you doing? What steps are you taking? To make sure that that happens. Okay. Um, I always like to look to, I don't know, I guess because I played sports, but um, I always like to look at uh, sports teams as a good example of whether a team is functioning or not. So some recent examples, San Francisco 49ers, that just blew up out there uh, with the guy that came in to run it. People weren't buying in. The locker room was dysfunctional, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Owner throws up his hands. Um, you got to look at the owner. That's the owner's fault for doing that, I would think, right? Yeah. I think owner, maybe general manager, depending on how. Well, the general manager left. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's an idea of a very dysfunctional team and how it blows up. Right. You know, you got some good quality people, but it kind of a lot of weird things happened. You, you have for, some good quality people. And, and unfortunately, some of those good quality the best. people. You got the best. You had too many stars that wanted to be stars in their own right, as opposed to kind of looking at and appreciating what the other, what the other team members and what the other players and management team members were bringing to the table. And another great example of how a team ought to work would be the, um, the, the teams we saw last weekend, both on both sides. Right. And then going back in time, you look no further than a man by the name of Don Shula, who was a master at all of this. Yes. Yes. He, he had a history and a heritage with that. And then all the college football fans are probably going, well, what about Bear Bryant? Well, that's another great example. <laughs> so, okay, so I'll throw that in well, there. The, but, the Alabama fans are going, what right, about Bear Bryant? <laughs> right, right. And um, I think Mark Rick was a good example of that, too. And um, he, for whatever reason, did not get the results that the— People wanted him to, but I think he had a great team. I, you know, I think, and you know, I'm a diehard Georgia fan, so yes, I we and I was I'm a Mark Rick fan, and I think he did bring together some some great talent, and I think I think he brought together some talent that really um, understood the concept of team, and they played together well, and they and they supported each other. So you, but you still had something missing there. You still had something missing, and I think I think it falls in. Um, more with some of the the coaching that that happened there, where there wasn't that that good clear mission of here's how we're going to accomplish this. Here's mm-hmm. where, how, here's here's how we're going to make sure that we stop Alabama, and here's how we're going to make sure that we stop Florida when when they're on the on the field, and making sure that they pull all of those pieces together. And uh, and I think um um. A real good example, going back to the Falcons, um, you got to look at Mr. Blank and say he he knew what he wanted to do with the franchise, and he went out and found his guy. Right. Took him a while, but he found his, because it took him a while, I think, to learn that business. Right. But he found his guy, and he just said, all right, 
Mr. Quinn, you run with this. And basically wants him to run. He's, he's added talent around him. Right. Um, and they've, and I, and I, I know that, uh, Mr. Blank probably gets involved, but I think he gets involved in the right way. It, it appears. It, it appears. And I think you can say, you know, throughout his career, unquestionably, he's been very successful in the things that he set out to do. And I think a common theme there is that he's brought the right people into the organization and he's had that vision of where he wants it to go. Mm-hmm. And I think with, you know, with what the Falcons did this year, you know, when you look at, um, when you look at this being Quinn's second season as head coach, I mean, taking them to the Super Bowl in second season is, is huge. Mm-hmm. That's a huge initiative. And when you look at some of the progress of, of the other leaders on the team and you look at, you know, what Matt Ryan has done this year and how his play for the 2016 season was so vastly different than prior year. I mean, you really can see all of the things coming together and all of that common goal happening. Yeah. There. And if you think back over, over the year with everything that was going on, I mean, you had some players that were never really had a chance to shine and now they're shining, but. Not until the very end here. I think we've only had one one guy, and I think it's probably his agent's fault, but we've only had one guy say, well, wait a minute. What about me? What about me? What about me? One guy out of the mm-hmm. whole thing. Right. And But you've got um, a group of superstars, and only one guy raised his hand and started wondering about himself. Right. Which is, really goes to the kind of people that you bring into the organization. Exactly. You've got, you've got all those individuals that are looking towards that common goal. And they're looking there for the good of the team, mm-hmm. recognizing that when the team does well, each individual does well. Mm-hmm. So they, they truly get it. It, it sinks in. Um, well, I want to make sure we cover the things you wanted to cover today. And uh, as you know, I, I tend to be um, a little wandering and we talk about whatever sounds like what we're on. But here's a good question that you wanted to talk about. Why is it not enough to have really, really talented individuals? Talk about that for a little bit. Well, I think I I referenced that just a moment ago when we looked at the Falcons and we said, you know, you've got these talented individuals, but they all understand that they're working together towards a common team goal. Not to not to poke the badger a little bit, but you have that with the Patriots organization as well. You've got leaders like you've got leaders there who who say, you know, I'm not going to negotiate my salary up because I understand we have this cap and I'm going to I'm going to do this for the good of the team. So you've got leaders like like Brady doing taking actions like that, and they are really doing things that that help to make that team stronger. So those are you know you've got stars who aren't acting like prima donnas; they're acting like leaders as opposed to acting like stars. And then another another drawback that you get in that you get with really talented individuals is sometimes they don't quite have that willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. But I think we see with with you know to your reference with uh, Matt Ryan earlier is that he, you know, he got a new playbook and he learned that playbook. He took the time, he worked it, he learned it, and the results showed up this year in mm-hmm. this season and where we went. Embraced it. Embraced it. Although apparently he didn't necessarily agree with it all the time. He embraced it. Exactly. Exactly. And it was very new for him. It was a very new style and, and right there, you know, very different change. Well, and, and fortunately, we, uh, we talked a little bit about this. We don't have to rip up that playbook again. Right. So uh, I think they made a recent change that I think was really good for the company. So we'll see how all that works. What is a takeaway for the owners out there that f- for putting together a successful team? I think I think the kind of the overarching thought here, and this goes back to our, our last discussion as well as today, is do your homework up front. 
understand the nature and the personality and the style of the people that you're bringing in. So you've got the functional competencies, but then also understand these these roles that these individuals are going to play once you bring them in the organization. Mm-hmm. And make sure that you get somebody who's a challenger. Make sure you've got somebody in there who's, you know, innovative. Make sure you've got somebody in there who's driven for results. Make sure you've got all of these these areas covered on the front end. And, you know, utilize those tools at your disposal to explore those areas and also, you know, explore how how well they understand their themselves mm-hmm. and the role and how they play that role and how that plays out in the organization. And um, it, it just really wraps together with a lot of things we've talked about in this room. Um, a lot of times uh, owners are kind of in it themselves. But one of the things that we've talked about is the need to have um, outside objective influence and advice that you are, are willing to take and listen to from people that you trust. Right. Um, so that that allows the owner to make sure that he's on the right page. Right. And so he's comfortable that his mission is carefully and defined in enough detail. Right. Uh, he's bounced it off enough people that he trusts. And um, then with that in place, he turns around and asks the team to do the same thing. That that's a good, a very good summary. And, you know, I think key in there is that he's got to have somebody that he trusts that, you know, they can tell him no. And he's willing to sit back and either accept no or, or explore why mm-hmm. instead of saying, well, no, the answer is yes. So go do it. Um, and and then um, the other thing I learned today is how all this gets back to the hire. It goes right back. Because if you've brought in all the right people. Mm-hmm. And you know who they are when you bring them in. Mm-hmm. And it's not all about just personalities, but you know who they are. You know how they tick. And you know what they're good at. You know what they're not so good at. If you've done all that on the front end, then assembling the team is not that difficult. Correct. Um, and then you're pretty confident that the the result is going to come back successful and you won't have complete bedlam in there that you've got to going and separate people, right? <laughs> well, bedlam or just, you know, everybody just getting along because they're all the same and they uh, never get anything done. Or you don't, you get back and say, yeah, we decided, uh, we heard what you said, we really don't want to do that. And here's why. Well, that's right. not what I asked you to do. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So they, you need you need to make sure that go they around. understand turn, that turn there around. is. Go, go back. Yeah. Go back. Wait, go, go back. Go back out. Come back in. Let's try this again. Okay. Um, so, gosh, we're at the end. Last words, uh, give some uh, uh, advice to a business owner with a big problem. Business owner with a big problem. I would say sit down, figure out where your people are, are fitting into this. Do you have the right people in place to make things happen? And if you don't, how are you going to, how are you going to fix it? Does this mean moving people out of the organization? Does it mean bringing in some coaching? Does it mean, you know, just kind of putting some some processes in place and kind of taking a, an evaluation there of, of how they respond. Yeah, and that's a good one because right there now, you've got to decide, will a team be effective? In and in, do I have the right people to put together the right kind of team to, to come up with the solution? Exactly, exactly. And if not, then that's a whole different decision. And then you probably, if, if not, then you probably made a mistake on the front end hiring all these people. You probably made a mistake on the front end and now, now you have to decide right. how to correct it. All right. Doris, thank you so much. You're welcome for thank coming you for back. It, it was another great conversation. And uh, if you take the interview back in June and you add it to this one, you 
you come up with a lot of great ideas on how to run your company. So Good. I appreciate your input. Good. All right, everybody. That's been the show today. This is um, On the Money brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Again, the number one small business show uh, on Business Radio X. Uh, it's brought to you by Embassy National Bank, a nationally chartered financial institution, and our deposits are insured by the FDIC. And um, it's really good to be talking to such talented uh, professional people about all these issues and have the time a little bit to go back and review our program over the years now. It's a real good classroom kind of study. So I'd encourage everybody to uh, spend a little time and, and go back and review a lot of different shows. I'm Joe Moss, Embassy National Bank. Remember, it's all in the hire. How about that one? That's a good one. It's all in the hire. You got to leave fear in the back seat. I think most importantly, one thing we've said over the years and is really important is stay authentic, be yourself. Everybody's got flaws. Don't worry about your flaws. Just be yourself, stay authentic. That's what people want to see. Um, so with that, we will see you next time.